Eagles Entertainment. You do a lot of listening in your lifetime. You listen to your doctor, your spouse, and this podcast. It's time you listen to your body. At Novacare Rehabilitation, our expert therapist can help you get rid of your aches and pain to get you back to what you love. Go to Novacare.com to learn more. Coach Ramil had come to the Eagles in 1976 with some misgivings. Not the least of those, the struggling team didn't have many first-round draft picks. But by the time the 1978 season ended, there was a strong belief that Coach was well on his way to turning the franchise around. The players were buying what he was selling, and Eagles fans who were always loyal finally felt the payoff. The miracle at the Meadowlands, followed by making it to the playoffs, helped crystallize those feelings. So by 1979, it was time to ante up. And finally, Coach was going to get a first-round draft pick. I pick up the phone. Hi, Mom. How you doing? He said, Pumpkin, I just called to see if you were drafted yet. <laughs> I said, no, Mom, I love you, but we're going to have to clear this phone. And he went with someone he knew well. I'll never forget that moment. It was, it was crazy. And then Coach Vermeule calls me on the phone. He says, Jerry. I can't believe you're still here in the draft. He said, we don't need a linebacker. He said, but you're the best athlete on this board. So that's how Jerry Robinson became a Philadelphia Eagle. This is Return Game, Coach Ramil, presented by Novacare Rehabilitation. I'm your host, Rob Ellis. This episode is even more coach in the Eagles. So let's get into it. By 1979, Coach Dick Vermeil and his band of passionate underdogs were feeling pretty confident. If you know your Eagles history, you might think we're going to talk about the Monday night football game in Dallas. And we'll get there. But there's one other game that season that ranks slightly higher for Coach Vermeil. The biggest game of that year was really beating Pittsburgh Steelers. They were undefeated and world champions from the year before. And we beat them here in Philadelphia. And uh, that, to me, was the defining game that said, we are for real from here on out. Eagles 17, the Steelers 14 with two seconds left. Eagles looking for their biggest win in years. Jaworski on the snap. He will fall forward with the football. The Eagles have beaten the Pittsburgh Steelers. Carl Hairston agrees. And I don't know why people don't talk about that to this day. And I'm, you know, what game let you guys know that you were a good football team? I said, well, when we beat the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they were a Super Bowl team at that time, for Ray Dittinger, this 1970 Steelers team is the greatest he's ever seen. When the Eagles came off the field that day after beating the Steelers, there was a real kind of coming-of-age feeling for the team. Not that they were better than the Steelers, or not that they were going to go to the Super Bowl now and beat the Steelers. They weren't quite there yet, but they had really turned a significant corner that day. And the fans of Philadelphia finally understood that, hey, you know what, we have a football team now. The next big test for this team, and it's one that's in most fans' top five Eagles victories, was taking on the Cowboys at home. The Birds had never, ever won at Texas Stadium. Quarterback Ron Jaworski, who was in his third season with the team, was well aware that this game was a big deal. Monday Night Football was very, very special. The national audience was unbelievable. It's usually a game where they put you know the top teams on. So we knew going down to Texas Stadium on Monday Night Football, team that we knew we had to eventually surpass. It was a huge game for our football team. Pressure was definitely on, and even Ray Didinger believed the team were long shots. There wasn't anybody that thought they could go down there and win, including me. 
I mean, we just thought that this is going to be another typical Eagles trip to Dallas. It's going to come away with a big L. Now is a good time to bring Merrill Reese back into the story. He started as the voice of the Eagles in 1977. I could feel the excitement build because the Eagles were coming on. The Eagles were trying to take the turf and rule the division. And it was a huge game for this team. And I remember going into this game thinking, can the Eagles beat them? On Sunday night, before the game, Coach Ramil assembled his players for a final meeting. He had been preparing for this moment, and we know that Coach lives for an opportunity to motivate his players. Starts off the meeting, the way he starts off many meetings over the years, where he says, okay, what's it going to take to beat the Dallas Cowboys? The players had heard this so many times by now. You know, we got to run for this many yards. We've got to win the turnover battle. We've got to win time of possession. All the talking points that he had always had about, we have to do this, 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 this. And the players thought that's what they were going to hear yet again. But what Dick said was, what's it going to take to beat the Dallas Cowboys? Just another 24 hours. And he walked out of the room. Coming wide to the far side is Drew Pearson. To the near side is Tony Hill. Motion to the far side goes Drew Pearson to Staubach calls and turns. Play action. He wants to throw. He has time. He's going deep down the middle. Looking for Tony Hill. He has it for the touchdown. Tony Hill right down the middle. A 48-yard bomb and the Cowboys are on the board. The Cowboys scored first. It was painful. Thousands of Eagles fans thinking, not again. We just can't take it. But Ron wasn't rattled by the early score. To him, one score means nothing. But then Harold Carmichael scores on a 32-yard pass from Ron Jaworski. It was a fourth down play. And whenever I look at that play, I kind of realized how lucky I was. Because it was a fourth down play. We went play action. And Harold had a poco, which is a post-corner option. So it's called a poco. So depending on, on how the defender played, he would either go inside or outside. In other words, if the defender played inside, he'd go to the corner. Defender played outside, he'd go to the post. This is a play that is still shown on highlight films. So as I dropped back and there was pressure on me from the defensive rush of the Cowboys, I didn't get a defined read. I didn't know if Harold was going to the corner or going to the post. I guessed. I guessed, because I didn't get clear definition, that he was going to go to the post. And as the ball left my hand, I seen the corner jump outside. Harold went to the post, and I said, oh, my God, I guessed right. So, and Harold caught it, and we got a touchdown on the play. It was 50-50. Fourth down and a yard for the Eagles. Everybody in tight as Jaworski spins and goes with play action. He's looking for Carmichael, who takes it at the five. He's in for a touchdown. Harold Carmichael had Cliff Harris draped all over him, but he fought him off. A 32-yard touchdown as the Eagles gambled on play action, and it worked. Then with the game tied, a pivotal moment occurs. Jaworski is hit hard by Harvey Martin. When Ron Jaworski got knocked out of the game, I was concerned about Ron Jaworski and could the Eagles go on with the backup quarterback who hardly ever played. The backup's name is Johnny Walton, 
and it's his time to shine. And boy, does he. No one knew who Johnny Walton was, an African-American quarterback. There weren't many of them around. I had great confidence in Johnny because I knew what he could do. And I put him in. First thing he does is throw a corner pattern. I think it was a touchdown or right down to the one-yard line. As Walton backs up, he sets. He's looking, looking, firing deep. Does he have it complete for the touchdown to Charlie Smith on the far side? Charlie Smith takes the pass from John Walton, and the Eagles take the lead. Heading into halftime, Tony Franklin comes out to kick a field goal for the Eagles. He lines it up. Tony hits it. It is going. It is going. It is going. It is good. It is good. A 59-yard field goal by Tony Franklin gives the Eagles a 17-7 lead. That is a new Eagles record. In those days, you didn't expect to make a 59-yarder. You thought that you maybe you'd get close. Tony was only a 50-something percent successful kicker anyway. But when he made that, that was a big lift. That kick took the wind out of the Cowboys' sails. Sorry, not sorry. It's like this powerhouse of a Cowboys team just wasn't prepared for the new and improved Eagles, especially after how quickly they recovered from that rough start. Sure, it helped that Franklin, a rookie barefoot kicker, made the second longest kick in NFL history. Slowly, as the game progressed, Eagles fans dared to believe. The halftime pep talk from Coach Ramil was short and to the point. I said, you know something, we've, we've taken everything Dallas could give us and handled it successfully. Now let's just go out and kick their ass. The Cowboys set to kick off to the Philadelphia Eagles who have not turned the football over thus far tonight. And guess who was on the field ready to play again? Number seven, Ron Jaworski. Jaworski is the quarterback for the Eagles. That's really good to see. I was afraid he was really hurt. With Jaworski back, the Cowboys knew the game was about to get even tougher. In the fourth quarter, Dallas quarterback Roger Staubach was playing with a bruised thigh. I've always wondered who hit the mighty Staubach. It was me. That's Carl Hairston. He's the man responsible for curtailing Dallas's rally that night. When I hit him, you know, he kind of looked back and to see who it was. My helmet hit him right on the thigh. In my mind, I'm like, I just hit the great Roger Staubach. Philadelphia, realizing probably that Roger does not move around too well with that bruised thigh, come with the blitz. Even with his newly bruised thigh, he threw two touchdown passes, but it wasn't enough. Wilbert Montgomery put the game out of reach with a touchdown run. Jaworski spins, gives off to Montgomery, first down to the 30, 25-20, 15-10, touchdown Wilbert Montgomery. And the Eagles are mobbing Wilbert Montgomery, who just sprinted 37 yards for a touchdown, and that's going to lock it up. And the Eagles have broken a streak that's lasted years too long. The final score was 31-21 Eagles. If there's any game where coaching matters, it's football. And to that young man, Dick Vermeil, who tonight bested one of the greatest coaches. Hey, look at that. That's Dick. No, that's not. <laughs> we got him. We got him. They sure did. I love it. That is right. They got him. He's right. The Birds finished the 79 season with a wild card victory against the Bears. They would be knocked out by Tampa Bay one week later. The season ended with a respectable record of 12-6. and six. Wrapping on such solid footing gave the Eagles a well-deserved, upbeat outlook for their upcoming year. A new decade, 1980. Lots of debuts. The Rubik's Cube, CNN, Post-it notes go on sale for the first time. 
Kim Kardashian was born, and The Empire Strikes Back was released. At the Eagles, Coach Ramil's core group of guys were returning, and there was a feeling this could be the year. The Birds came out of the gate strong, winning 11 of their first 12 games. And in Week 12, they beat the Oakland Raiders 10-7, a team that would loom large in the postseason. Here's what Herm Edwards had to say about that game. The Raiders had a good football team now, but we played them at home. It was a physical game, got to the quarterback. For Tom Flores, the head coach of the Raiders, this game was a learning moment. We played back in Philadelphia, and we were a good team that was getting better with each week. But they were a very good team, and they were getting better with each week. Plunkett got sacked nine times that game. Although it may have felt like nine sacks to Jim Plunkett, our birds only got to him eight times. pressure up front and Plunkett doesn't even see him. has no idea he's coming 13 years he's played they had the answer to what we were doing and we just did execute so I remember that and I put that in the back of my my memory the Eagles wrapped the regular season 12 and 4 they even tied Dallas's season record on January 3rd the Eagles swept their divisional round opponent the Minnesota Vikings the score was 31-16 Next up, it was the conference championship, where they would face their biggest rivals. The reason why the crowd, of course, is chattering so vociferously, we want Dallas, is because it would be played here in Philadelphia. Keep in mind that for five years now, Dick Vermeil has been telling the Eagles, we have to beat the Dallas Cowboys. If we want to get to the Super Bowl, we have to beat the Cowboys. You have to get past the Cowboys. Making the situation more difficult in a game only weeks ahead of the conference championship, Dallas won. Could the Birds recover mentally and take the pressure? Merrill Reese, who would be calling the game, describes the vibe he picked up from nervous fans. Great hope, but a fear of great impending disappointment because the Cowboys were the king. They were the ruling team. I think Philadelphians were optimistic as they would be, hopeful, but not confident. And the rest of the nation thought it was almost a fait accompli that the Cowboys would wipe out the Eagles and head into Super Bowl fifteen. Now, here you are, five years in, you're one game away from the Super Bowl, and it is the Dallas Cowboys. It's not the Falcons. It's not the Packers. It's the Dallas Cowboys. It's the team you've been talking about and pointing towards for five years now. And they're coming into your place on a bitter cold day. With your fans there behind you. The city was so charged up. I almost get emotional. I think about it. You know, it was one of those moments where, you know, we're going to do something special. January 11th, 1981, the NFC Championship game. The game the city had been anticipating for decades was finally here. Ron Jaworski was ready. And I walked out of the tunnel at Veterans Stadium and there were garbage trucks going up and down the field, breaking up the ice. It was so cold. I mean, oh, my God, we got to play this in like two and a half hours. Well, it was very, very cold, as everyone remembers. The wind chill factor was below zero, but it didn't feel cold on the field. I remember talking to players and steam coming out of their mouth from the temperature difference and all that kind of stuff. And I never heard one complaint from anybody, and I felt like it was 90 degrees. It was to our advantage, believe me. 
I mean, I've been covering football for 50 years now, and I've been in all sorts of stadiums. I've never felt a team had a greater home field advantage than what the Eagles had that day. That was a hostile place that the Cowboys walked into. In the home team's locker room, Coach Ramil, the self-admitted pep talk guy, was preparing his team, who by now knew, one, Coach Ramil is a pep talk guy. Two, mental preparation is just as important as physical preparation. And three, this was going to be one hell of a game. I prepared with great confidence. I talked about winning. I talked about beating. But when you talk about beating somebody, you talk about how it's got to be done as well. You talk about what it's going to take. But see, at that time, now they believe you. They they hang on each sentence. You've got complete trust of the team. Years back... When we were struggling to win five and six and seven games, a lot of people used to take the Eagles for granted. A lot of guys have heard me say, never allow anybody to take you for granted. I have a feeling that the Cowboys are sort of taking us for granted right now. We're here because we've earned the right to be here, and we've played well enough to be here. And we can beat this football team. If the Dallas Cowboys are going to take us for granted, we'll whip their ass. We got into a game with Dallas, and Dick Vermeil had us so very well prepared for this game that when I walked down the tunnel onto the field, I could honestly say to myself, it was the only time in 13 years that I knew 100%, not 99, 100% that we were going to beat the Dallas Cowboys. It started to sink in for Bill Berge why the Eagles had to endure hours of tough practices, team bonding, and all that mental preparation. All I can remember was I was so tuned in to the Dallas Cowboys and coming down that ramp, my only thought was, you've never played a perfect game, Bill Berge, but whatever you do, try your very hardest to play a perfect game today. The crowd was as loud as I've ever heard a crowd. And I I could still kind of hear that noise. It was the loudest I definitely had ever heard Veterans Stadium. But the roar before that game of the team coming out of the tunnel, it just resonated. Like this is, you know, it's not a normal game, but it is not a normal game. You know, this is crazy. And it was kind of what we anticipated. It was Philadelphia. It's, It's all we expected. You know, it was all that we thought it would be. There is a swirling wind in the neighborhood of 15 miles an hour. There's the whistle. Here's the kickoff. It is high and end over end. It is taken by it's the- on, and the Eagles are ready. I can still remember Wilbur Montgomery exploding off the right side between blocks on the right side of Jerry Sizemore, the right tackle, and Woody Peoples, the right guard. We thought we had a chance. Uh, we got good field position. We thought we had a chance to play action pass to hit a touchdown. So I came out of my play action fake, and I think we had, we we would have had a shot at it, but there was pressure on me. I had to throw before the receiver broke open. It just I was I was throwing. I got hit, and Randy White hit me right in the stomach. The pass was incomplete, so Jaworski took another shot. So the second down, I already knew what the second down play was. We had our scripted plays, and uh, it was going to be I right slot split, forty seven slant, and I you know we knew what the Cowboys were going to do defensively. You studied, you prepared. We got the defense we wanted. Uh, handed off to Wilbert and scooted to the left, cut back to the right, got some great blocks on the right side of our offensive line, and, and shoo, man, he right down at the end zone. Jaworski gives off inside, running with Montgomery up the right side. Left 30, 45, 40, 15, 10, touchdown! Wilbert Montgomery 
Foles on the right side, and the Eagles have scored first. As he was getting close to that goal line, the crowd was coming to a crescendo, and I could just feel, I could feel the noise. I could feel it, not, not hear it. I could feel it. My body was kind of like vibrating. I mean, it was, it was the loudest, and I played in dome stadiums and you name it. It was the loudest crowd I had ever heard. It was that veteran stadium crowd when Wilbur went to the end zone. It was a physical game early, but I thought a couple things happened early in that game. Wilbur Montgomery broke off a big run for us, and then all of a sudden you could just see the confidence of the team, right? And I always tell people, as I saw that number 31 disappear into the end zone to my left, I knew, and everybody in the Delaware Valley knew, even though it was the first quarter, that the Eagles were going to go to Super Bowl 15. Wilbert Montgomery was a spectacular football player in every category. Very fine player. And, you know, he makes the long run. That run was designed for a purpose. The mechanics were simple. It was a run we use all the time, but not from that formation. We had never shifted from a shotgun formation to an I formation. We did that and put third down personnel in the game to get the nickel defense in because we knew that they liked to play man-to-man coverage in the nickel. In my mind, in my career, that might be the only play that the preparation for the play, the design of the play, and the reasons for the play produced a 100% result. Everything worked just as we thought it would. Montgomery's touchdown put him ahead 7 nothing, And then the Cowboys came back and they scored next. I mean, it's 7-7. Dorsett straight ahead. They like him well enough for a Dallas touchdown. A very good-looking and effective drive by Dallas. Heading into halftime, the score was tied, and the game was progressing as Coach Vermeil had planned. I didn't expect to shut him out. I knew we weren't going to have to score a lot of points. And we weren't really a, a magic offensive team. We were pretty physical and very few gimmicks and didn't change a lot from week to week. We just tried to do better what we do, thinking if we'd been doing this all year and the opponent only has one week to get ready for us, we still have an edge. Philadelphia was the stronger club in the first half. Let's see what's going to happen in the second as we go back down to the action. We're ready to start half number two. The teams race back onto the field. It's still anyone's game. Then kicker Tony Franklin nailed a 26-yard field goal. With the score 10-7 Eagles, Coach Vermeil knew he needed something unexpected. He called a play that, if executed properly, would catch Tom Landry and the Cowboys off guard. We decided to run a trap down inside against the Cowboys. Traps can be risky, but Vermeil said it worked exactly as planned. But we felt that we'd get him in a down and distance situation where they'd be coming after us, we'd have a chance, and, and Leroy took it on in. It was a very successful trap play. Leroy was fullback Leroy Harris from Savannah, Georgia. Ron remembers the moment he stepped up. He thought he was Jim Brown, and he was just running over people. Um, you, you look at him running the football, he made a great touchdown run, people bouncing off him. But then when you look at the game, he, he was great in pass protection. Uh, he did everything he was supposed to do. So Leroy Harris really had a solid game from the fullback position. Jaworski on the delay to Leroy Harris up from the left. Off the five. Touchdown, Eagles! Leroy Harris! Leroy Harris! Harris scored. The third quarter wrapped with the Eagles leading the Cowboys 17-7. All they had to do was hang on to their lead for 15 more minutes. Those minutes seemed like an eternity for Jerry Sizemore. So we had control of the ball, and we were just running out the clock. It was flop on time. And, you know, it's third down, and then it's fourth down, and the crowd, the noise level in the vet was start vibrating everything. 
it was in all of those years of frustration and all of that was just flooding past and we were going to win and we got, wow, had to be five minutes of knowing that you're going to win. Even Willie Penn was dancing around up there. And I can remember Coach Ramil um, on the sideline, walking up to guys and hugging them and saying, we're going to the Super Bowl. And all of a sudden, it dawns upon you that that's the next game we're going to play. We're actually going to go to the Super Bowl. It's not a play. You know, playoff game is a playoff game. But when you say the next game, we're going to the Super Bowl, you actually realize, guess what? We are going to go to the Super Bowl, right? The Eagles were headed to their first Super Bowl and their first championship game since 1960. And man, those Philadelphia fans. Listen to this crowd, ladies and gentlemen. I have never seen anything like it. That's right, the Super Bowl. But first, there was some celebrating. You feel so elated. And then Leonard Toast came to me and said, I'd like to put on a celebration party for the team in your bye week. And I said, Leonard, you're the owner. If you want to do it, you do it. I mean, I, I'm only your football coach. You're paying the bills. If you want to put on a party for them, go ahead. In today's world, in later experience, if he would have asked me that, I would say no freaking way. This is a tough moment in Eagles history. The AFC champions were the Oakland Raiders, a team the Birds defeated easily in that Week 12 game at Veterans Stadium. This time, it was different. The game was at the Louisiana Superdome and the Eagles were unable to regain the intensity that they had in the NFC Championship game. The Raiders had won a Super Bowl before. This was Coach Ramil's first trip to the big game. Jim Plunkett leads the Oakland Raiders to Super Bowl 15 victory. The final score, Oakland 27, Philadelphia 10. We celebrated too long beating Dallas, and maybe even me mentally and emotionally, and my coaches, but the whole team. And we didn't play well game day. Now, is that the reason? Probably not. We were minus in turnovers. Everybody knows if you're minus in turnovers. We were limited offensively. He's not making excuses. It's a fact. And Ray Didinger sees it the same way. They play their worst game of the season at the worst possible time. I, I think part of it was there was such an emotional investment in the Dallas game. You beat the Cowboys. And it was like, wow, we did it. We're there. And it, and it was like, oh, wait, fellas, we still got one more game to play. Uh, and I just felt that they peaked with the Dallas game and they couldn't quite get back there. But in the end, sadly, it wasn't to be for Coach Vermeil and these guys. But the Eagles would eventually get there. And so would Coach Vermeil. We'll tell that story next time. After the disappointing loss to the Raiders, Coach Vermeil continued as head coach for the 1981 season. The Birds won six in a row, a franchise first. He led the team to its fourth straight postseason, another franchise first. The team started off really well. They were 6-0. and It looked like they were going to roll right through the season. And then the second half of the year, they got some bad breaks. 
That year, the Eagles and the Giants found themselves facing off against each other in the wildcard round of the postseason. It kind of limped into the playoffs and got beat in their first playoff game by the Giants at home. It was New York's first playoff appearance in 18 years. The Eagles couldn't stop the Giants that day. In the end, the Eagles lost 27-21, a disappointing end to the season. And there would be some unexpected challenges ahead. By 1982, Coach Ramil had been with the Eagles for six seasons. Leonard Tose, who had been notorious for changing his coaches like he changed socks, had bought into the Vermeil way, and the team found success. But in his seventh season... They came back the next year in 82 and kind of looked like they were back on track, and then the strike came. That year, players walked off the field for 57 days. No games were played. Weeks three through 10 were canceled. And when they came back, it just wasn't the same. That, that it that they had was gone. It was a real nasty period during the strike. And when the Eagles came back, that sort of kumbaya, we're all in this together, feeling that they had as an organization was gone. And what about Coach Vermeil? 57 days without a team canceled games. How did he cope with this upheaval? Dick's a guy who, who thrives on bringing everybody together. And that season, for reasons totally beyond his control, just got cut right in half. And he was the guy caught in the middle trying to keep it together, to see the look in his face, to just see how exhausted he looked, how just physically and emotionally spent he appeared. I mean, all the hours that he had worked, the sleeping in his office, the long practices, the long nights, all that stuff, we all knew about that. But we had never seen kind of the visual evidence of it until 82. I had been fighting with myself a little bit all along, and I wasn't a good listener. Sid Gilman would say to me, Dick, you can't keep pushing yourself like you're pushing yourself and keep going. Lynn Stiles says, Coach, you can't keep going like you're going. You know, I'm an emotionally intense guy, especially at that age level. And driving myself, driving myself, and uh, I was wearing myself out. I found myself in a hole a few times and it scared me. So I, I told Carol, I've got to make a decision before the next day press conference. She said, well, Dick, you don't have a choice. You got to take a break, you got to get out. I says, well, what do I tell him? She says, uh, you tell him you burn out. But I didn't know I was inventing a term. So that's what I told him. I said, Len, Jim, I'm just burnt out. I need to take a break. In the next episode of Return Game, Coach Vermeil, presented by Novacare Rehabilitation players react to Coach Ramil's surprise announcement. What do you call a coach who no longer has a team? Mr. Dick Vermeil finds out what life has to offer off the field. Then he gets an offer that changes everything, and he's vaulted back into the game. And he makes another unexpected discovery. Kurt Warner played quarterback with the St. Louis Rams for Coach Vermeil in 1998 and 1999. I'm your host, Rob Ellis. Thanks for listening. You do a lot of listening in your lifetime. You listen to your doctor, your spouse, 
and this podcast. It's time you listen to your body. At Novacare Rehabilitation, our expert therapist can help you get rid of your aches and pain to get you back to what you love. Go to novacare.com to learn more.